channel. For more information about our network and its... question the important issues of today and try to find a sort of spiritual connection? Welcome to Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman as your host. Religion deals with the most fundamental issues humans face. There are arguments for and against the existence of God, where religion belongs in everyday life and a number of questions left unanswered. This is where it all gets discovered. Now, here is Father John Holloman. Good day to you. Glad to be back again. I want to pick up where I left off last week, but I'm going to back up a little bit so that we can get the full perspective of what's going on here. With the death of Solomon, there was a great deal of turmoil in the kingdom caused by his uh, conscription policies. He forced his own citizens into forced labor, to build his many building projects. And also there was religious discontent. Now Solomon's son, um, when they met to uh, try and consolidate all this, reacted in a very arrogant way. Result was that the 10 Northern tribes seceded from David's kingdom and became known as the Kingdom of Israel, which is the Northern Kingdom. Judah was confined to the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, which was a very small tribe in the south, mostly in the hill country. Now, Israel would go on to become very wealthy because it was astride all the trade routes between the Fertile Crescent and Egypt. But this also made it a target for um, any military ambitions, either from Egypt into the Fertile Crescent or vice versa. <clears throat> so Israel was became quite wealthy, but um, there was going to be many problems that we shall see. Now, <clears throat> after the initial king um, in the in Israel died and the capital had been moved to um, Samaria. Uh, they had established two temples, one in the south of Bethel and one in the north of Dan. Um, <clears throat> The, um, this brought on the, the religious and cultural crisis uh, in the Northern Kingdom, which by now we have to speak of Israel as a political entity rather than uh, the uh, religious entity. Um, the cultural and religious crisis at the time came to a head as a result of the aggressiveness of um, Ahab, who had become king of the northern kingdom, um, he did what was common at the time. One of the reasons all these monarchs had so many wives was because it was to forge political alliances with, with uh, another country. So by you would 
Mary, the daughter of, of, of the king of, of Tyre or Sidon, and um, that put them in the family, as it were, and put you in their family, so that you didn't attack each other. Well, Ahab had uh, taken a wife um, from one of the, um, I think it was Tyre, T-Y-R-E, king of Tyre. Her name was Jezebel, which was to become quite notorious in the Old Testament. Um, and it, all he was doing here was following the example of Solomon. But Ahab is going to come across as a bit of a henpecked husband. Because Jezebel, Jezebel was no shrinking violet, and she made her wishes desired and desires known quite frankly to her husband. And if he didn't immediately agree, she'd go off and do it herself. Now, <clears throat> Ahab had followed Solomon's example by building religious shrines for his foreign wives. Ahab wasn't anti-Yahweh, but one of tolerance, giving his wife freedom of worship. However, as I said, Jezebel was no shrinking violent. She was a fanatical evangelist for Baalism, a political drive that conflicted with the nationalism of the prophets of Yahweh. Baal was a fertility religion. He had a consort known as Ashtart, and the two of them would uh, have sexual relations in heaven, and the rain would come and the crops would grow and the people would be happy. So the whole object of Baalism was to placate Baal and Ashtar so that they would um, do what was needed for the people to eat. Um, <clears throat> Jezebel was a fanatical advocate of Baalism. She launched a systematic campaign to eliminate all vestiges of Israel's, Israel's faith, tearing down altars and killing the prophets. Loyalists had to go underground, most famous of them being Elijah, who came from Transjordan, the other side of Jordan. He was a rough, semi-nomadic life, and he wore a garment of hair and a leather girdle, which contrasted with the cultured life in Israel. Um, the latest fashions, as it were. That ought to remind you, ring a bell, someone else who wore the same outfit, that was John the Baptist. Um, in 2 Kings chapter 1, it says, this is a split up of the kingdoms, um, Zadok the priest, Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, and Shimei and his companions, the pick of David's army, did not side with Adonijah, that was Solomon's son. Um, so that was the beginning of the split. The only kingdom was able to get away with it because they were bigger, they had the pick of the army, and also because... At the time, Egypt was becoming restless, 
and staging raids into southern Judah. So they had to protect their southern quarter and ignore the north for the time being. Um, His first act, Elijah's first act, was to announce a drought in the name of Yahweh, thus challenging Baal on his own turf, the fertility turf. Yahweh was in charge of uh, whether the crops grew or not, not Baal. And um, this was a direct challenge to Baalism. Now, um, in the first chapter of Kings, We have the story of um, Elijah going into Phoenicia. Looking it up here. Here we go. In chapter 17 of 1 Kings, Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, during these years there shall be no dew or rain except at my word. The Lord then said to Elijah, Leave here, go east, and hide in the wadi Cherith, east of the Jordan. Um, after some time, however, the brook ran dry because no rain had fallen in the land. So the Lord said to Elijah, move on to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. And that's in the uh, non-Hebrew country of Sidon. Um, I have designated a widow there to provide for you. He left and went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the entrance of the city, a widow was gathering sticks there. He called out to her, please bring me a small cup full of water to drink. She left to get it, and he called out after her, please bring along a bit of bread. As the Lord your God lives, she answered, I have nothing baked. There's only a handful of flour in my jar and a little oil in my jug. Just now I was collecting a few sticks 
to go in and prepare something for myself and my son. And when we have eaten it, we shall die. Do not be afraid, Elijah said to her. Go and do as you propose, but first make me a little cake and bring it to me. Then you can prepare something for yourself and your son. For the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry, until the day when the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And that, of course, would be at the behest of Elijah. Which shows that God's, Yahweh's, charge of fertility extended beyond Israel into Gentile territory. And that was a big deal at that time because gods were thought to have restrictions, geographical restrictions as to where they could function. Now, later on comes the contest at Mount um, Carmel. The issue is now clear-cut. Um, he, he got the prophets of Baal up on Mount um, Carmel and gave them a challenge. They built two altars um, and he said to the Baal, prophets of Baal, place your sacrifice on top of your altar and do not light it with a match. Just invoke your invoke your uh, deity. We've got a break coming up, so I'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Do you ever question the importance? It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Are you really? Are you the person you want to be, or are you the person that others want you to be? Think about that. We don't always recognize our gifts and potential because we stick to old methods of being and do what others in our lives tell us. It's time to break through. Listen for Rediscovering the Magic of Being with Marja. Each program connects you back to whom you were meant to be every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. 
You are tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Hello, we're back to Elijah on Mount Carmel. Um, he challenged the prophets of Baal to lay their sacrifice on top of their altar, as he did on his, and said, now, don't strike a match to this. Invoke Baal to come and start the fire for you. Well, they did this all day. Nothing happened. Um at the time for offering sacrifice, Elijah came forward and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day. Lord God of Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things by your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, that this may know that it, you are God and that you have brought them back to their senses. The Lord's fire came down and consumed the Holocaust, wood, stones, and trench, water in the trench. Seeing this, all the people fell prostrate and said, The Lord is God, the Lord is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let none of them escape. They were seized, and Elijah had them brought down to the brook Kishon, and there he slit their throats, thereby returning the compliment that Jezebel had heaped upon the prophets of Yahweh. Um, and of course, then the rain comes. Um The issue is now clear-cut. Either Yahweh or Baal is, is dead God. There should be no more limping or with two different opinions. But the real story is not the killing of the prophets of Baal under Cherem, which is holy war, but the end of the drought. That's the real climax of the story. Needless to say, Jezebel was not pleased with all this, and she put a price on Elijah's head. Um, for having to have him executed. Now his flight from Jezebel's wrath is a touching portrayal of the despair that shadows faith. Just when you think you've um, won out, things can go the other way. <clears throat> Once he gets out there, he's fed at um, this brook until it runs dry. The Lord God orders him to go down Horeb, which is the northern kingdom's word for Sinai. So when we see the word Horeb, we know we're talking about Mount Sinai, where the covenant of Moses. Um, <clears throat> so his encounter with God on Horeb points to a renewal of Israel's faith at the source, but with a difference. Um, The Lord said to Elijah, go outside and stand on the mountain before the Lord. The Lord will be passing by. A strong and heavy wind was rending the mountain and crushing rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a till, there was a tiny um, small voice. When he heard this, Elijah hid his face in his cloak and went and stood at the entrance of the cave. A voice said to him, Elijah, why are you here? He replied, I have been most zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, but the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Um, that's the kind of challenge to one's faith that we all have to do with at some time or another. Um, and that simply goes to show that um, we can't take it for granted. That there are always going to be times of doubt and difficulty when we're not sure, despite our convictions, that um, this is what's supposed to happen. But um, there's a sense in which the whole prophetic movement was a pilgrim back to Sinai. They were not innovators with bright ideas on how to keep up with the culture, but they voiced a demand for a wholehearted return to allegiance to the covenant. This is true of the prophets going all the way down the line. Even so, this is not a retreat to an idealized past, but a drawing out of the implications of the covenant for the present. And we need to remember that the prophets lived in the present. And if they talked about future events, it was because of their impact on the present. If they talked about previous events, it was about how it impacted on the present. Um, don't forget that Israel saw the hand of God in historical events, not in some um, ethereal fairyland. Then there's the story of Naboth's vineyard. Since they were in the promised land, Israelites saw themselves as stewards of its land Stewards of the land owned by Yahweh. They were just stewards. Yahweh was the owner. So selling it, much less land grabbing and speculation, was a big no-no. In 1 Kings 21, we have the story of Naboth's vineyard. Ahab coveted the vineyard, and he asked Naboth if he would sell it to him or he'd give him better land. And Naboth said no, because of this idea that this land is, belongs to Yahweh, not to me. I'm simply the steward of it. Well, Ahab went into a funk, and his wife Jezebel came up and said, what's the matter with you? And he told her, and um, this gives you an idea of what kind of person Jezebel was.
she said to her husband Ahab, go on, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. But she refused to sell you, because Naboth is not alive, but dead. She had some elders of the city where he lived, um, came out, she sent letters, and they proclaimed a fast and placed Naboth at the head of the people. Two scoundrels came in and confronted him with the accusation, Naboth has cursed God and king. And they led him out of the city and stoned him to death. And they sent the information to Jezebel that Naboth had been stoned to death. Then she said to Ahab, go take possession of the vineyard, which he refused to sell you because Naboth is not alive but dead. On hearing that Naboth was dead, Ahab started off on his way down the vineyard of Naboth to Jezreelite to take possession of it. But the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Start down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He will be in the vineyard of Naboth, of which he has come to take possession. This is what you shall tell him. The Lord says, After murdering, are you also to take possession? For this the Lord says, The place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick up your blood also. Have you found me out, my enemy? Ahab said to Elijah. Yes, he answered, because you have given yourself up to doing evil in the Lord's sight. And I am bringing the evil upon you. Um, so, you see how Elijah was a thorn inside of Ahab, who was really kind of uh, bust by his wife Jezebel. Um, then there comes a campaign against Ramoth Gilead. Um, the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, came down to, to visit Ahab, king of Israel, who said to his servants, Do you not know that Ramoth Gilead is ours? It's a city. And we are doing nothing to take it from the king of Aram, who was, the, Aram was Assyria at the time. He asked Jehoshaphat if he would join him and go and fight against Ramoth Gilead. And um, Jehoshaphat said, you and I are with one, your people and my people, your horses and my horses. But oh, he also said to the king of Israel, Seek the word of the Lord at once. And that was where Micaiah came in, who said that um, you will die in this encounter. And that was the beginning of the prophetic tradition of not being yes men to the king, but to predict doom. Uh, so... Now, the contest between Yahweh and Baal is not in the realm of nature, but social relationships. Baalism supported the status quo, with the aristocracy on top, which was typical of uh, the ancient pagan religions. But Yahweh defends the weak, defenseless. Elijah's rebuke of Ahab is a protest against the evils of the commercial mentality. And I'll pick up from there when we come back. Where Elisha shows up.
Change your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to DefendingCatholicFaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Hello, welcome back. Picking up where we left off. Um, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, joined the forces together again against Moab this time. Because Moab had rebe- rebelled against uh, Israel. And this is where Elisha comes on the scene. Um, the so-called Elisha cycle of stories, and also the legends about Elijah in um, Two Kings, represented a different type of prophetic tradition than heretofore. It resembles popular lore filled with wonder tales that appeal to the popular imagination. I guess today's equivalent would be science fiction and superheroes. But although fanciful, the main thing is that they point to Elisha's concern for the people. Most of the stories reflect continuing wars between Israel and Syria, with the notable exception of Moab. Um, In 2 Kings chapter 3, we have an interesting um, example
Now, Mesha, king of Moab, who raised sheep, used to pay the king of Israel as tribute 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. When Ahab died, the king of Moab had rebelled against the king of Israel. Joram, as king, mustered all of Israel. We set out on the campaign from Samaria. He sent the king of Judah the message, the king of Moab is in rebellion against me. Will you join me in that against in the fight? And the king of Judah said yes. Um, so the king of Israel set out accompanied by the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After the roundabout journey, um, they ran out of water. And it says, the Lord has called these three kings to put them in the grasp of Moab. But the king of Judah asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? One of the officers of the king of Israel replied, Elisha, son of Shaphat, who poured water on the hands of Elijah, is here. He has the word of the Lord. So the kings of Israel, Judah, and Edom went down to Elisha. What do you want with me, Elisha asked. Go to the prophets go of your father and to the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel replied, the Lord has called these three kings together to put them in the grasp of Moab. Then Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives, whom I serve, were it not that I respect the king of Judah, I should neither look at you nor notice you at all. Now give me a minstrel. When the minstrel played, the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and he announced, thus is the Lord, provide many catch basins in this wadi. For the Lord says, though you see neither wind nor rain, that this wadi would be filled with water for you, your livestock, and your pack animals to drink. So here again, command over uh, fertility of the land. And that's the beginning of Elisha's ministry. Um, Elisha commissions one of the charismatic prophets to seek out Jehu, the army commander at Ramoth Gilead, to anoint him king over Israel. Now, this is really meddling in politics. Um, Elisha sends his charismatic prophet uh, to announce, to uh, make Jehu king over Israel. And the mutinous army proclaims him king with great fanfare. He sets out to overthrow the royal family with their brutal bloodbath. Joram, who was a reigning descendant of Ahab, was dispatched with an arrow, and his body, with a sense of poetic justice, was dumped in Naboth's vineyard. Ahaziah, king of Judah, and his brothers, who were also murdered. And Jezebel, whose less queenly act was to paint her eyebrows and primp her hair, was tossed out of a window and mangled beyond recognition. Finally, all 70 of the sons of Ahab were decapitated, removing all claimants to the throne. Now, Yehu's motive for all of this was a combination of political and religious ambition. The religious dimension coming from Cherem, holy war. 
He was joined in his purge by Jehonadab, head of a family known for his passionate devotion to the wilderness tradition versus the agricultural ways of Canaan. Together, they exterminated the worshipers of Baal and turned the temple of Baal into a latrine. Now, this, all of this gerrymandering around might remind us a bit of uh, Iran and the Shah of Iran when he was overthrown. He had to run, flee for his life. Um, these kinds of things are still going on. Jehonadab's descendants were known as Rechabites, which are mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 35, a group of people who were vowed not to drink wine, to cultivate vineyards, to build houses, or till the soil. In other words, they stood for the pristine purity of the Mosaic wilderness tradition, the nomadic tradition. And Elisha um, departs from the scene at this point. Now, up until this point, Elijah, Elisha, and, this, and Micaiah, and people like that, they were simply verbal. But now we're going to begin with what are called the writing prophets, which uh, begin with Amos and Hosea. Um, Jehu's murder of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and his liquidation of the Baal worshippers destroyed the alliance built up by the Omri dynasty, which had preceded all this. Syria's Hazael took advantage of this vulnerability by sweeping through the Transjordan. Jehu bought relief by paying tribute to the Assyrian monarch, Shalmaneser III, forcing the Syrians to protect the Mesopotamian border. Internal problems, however, forced Assyria to withdraw after a few years, leaving Hazael free to attack Israel directly and reduce her to impotence by the time of Jehu's son, Jehoahaz, was on the throne. However, in 5 BC, a new Assyrian monarch attacked Syria and crippled her as a power for good so that Jehoash, Jehu's grandson, could recover much of the lands that had been lost. A military challenge from Judah was also repulsed, setting the stage for Jeroboam II, the greatest king of the Jehu dynasty and of the northern kingdom. He restored the boundaries to the furthest extent of Solomon's kingdom in the north, to the Dead Sea in the south. This nationalistic revival was accompanied by prosperity and commercial activity that created an oppressive social pyramid with royalty and merchants at the top and the mass of people in poverty at the bottom. Sound familiar? Economic tyrants exploited the poor with the help of corrupt courts. And the instances of that are listed in the book of the prophet Amos. There was a great interest in religion, 
But Baalism had been confused with the worship of Yahweh in the Northern Kingdom. And both were put in the service of nationalism as a kind of civil religion. And I think um, much of that same sort of scenario is playing out in our country today. Um, a lot of the mainstream um, Protestant denominations have been co-opted to um, agreeing with the, the zeitgeist, the spirit at the time. Um, and even uh, Hillary Clinton said in the last election that we were going to have to see to it that religions change their minds about certain things so that they can coexist with us. Um, so, once again, we have the prophet being at, at odds with the culture and the government of the day. Amos's prophetic mission was essentially conservative. This was pretty much true of all the prophets. To recall people to the events and convictions that form the basis for their existence as a people in the first place. The covenant with Moses in the, during the Exodus. And not to forget that the existence of Judah and Israel still is a religious, uh, defined religious belief more than ethnic uh, things in common. This wasn't just a political kingdom. Um, so, the religious tradition of the Northern Kingdom emphasized the roles of Abraham and Moses, while Amos was a southerner, being from a town called Tekoa, which was near Jerusalem. Meaning that the division between the two kingdoms was viewed as being more political than religious. They both had a common heritage. And he, Amos, who was from the southern kingdom of Judah, went to Bethel, the temple in the northern kingdom of Israel, to deliver his prophetic message. And although his thoughts and remarks were directed primarily at Israel, he also had Judah in mind. Now, the opening point he makes is that Yahweh is at work among all the nations. And he goes down a long list of where Yahweh is at work in the following countries. Um, and how they're going to be punished for not acknowledging Yahweh. Um, but the punchline that Amos comes up with is that Israel will be punished the most severely since she has known Yahweh. They're not ignorant, and therefore they have a greater culpability than the surrounding kingdoms who never knew Yahweh. We've got another break coming up, and I'll be back to wrap up shortly. Do you ever question the importance 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Tune into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Welcome back. Just thought I would give you a few insights into Amos's uh, beginning of his sermon at Bethel. Thus says the Lord, for three crimes of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke my word, because they threshed Gilead with stages of iron. I will send fire upon the house of Hazael to devour the castles of Ben Hadad. For Philistia, thus is the of Gaza and for four, I would not revoke my word, because they took captive whole groups to hand over to Edom. I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza to devour her castles. Thus says the Lord, for three crimes of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke my word, because they delivered whole groups captive to Edom, did not remember the pact of brotherhood. I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre to devour her castles. This goes on down to it gets to Judah. By now, he's got everybody uh, enthralled listening to what's going to happen to all of their uh, undesirable neighbors. Thus says the Lord, for three crimes of Judah and for four, I will not revoke my word, because they spurned the law of the Lord and did not keep his statutes, because the lies which their fathers followed have led them astray. I will send fire upon Judah to devour the castles of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord for three crimes of Israel and for four. I will not revoke my word. Because they sell the just man for silver. Notice the ethical component here. And the poor man for a pair of sandals. They trample the heads of the weak into the dust of the earth. And force the lowly out of the way. Son and father go to the same prostitute. Profaning my holy name. 
Upon garments taken in pledge, they recline beside any altar. And the wine of those who have been fined then drink in the home of their God. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorites before them, and I who brought you up from the land of Egypt. I raised up prophets among your sons. I will crush you to the ground as the wagon crushes when laden with sheaves. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong man shall not retain his strength. The warrior shall not save his life. In other words, um, the punchline is that um, um, Israel is going to be punished more than the other surrounding nations because she has known God and the divine calling brings responsibility, not privilege. And this is something we still have to um, wrestle with, uh, both um, Stalin and Hitler and Mussolini, for that matter. I uh, saw them as um, a, sp a special calling for their nation uh, to bring about privilege and not responsibility. <clears throat> a popular idea at the time um, was that the day of Yahweh is to be an occasion of vindication and glory. Amos's emphasis on doom was meant to counteract this unfounded optimism. Um, chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Hear this word which I utter over you, and lament, O house of Israel. She has fallen to rise no more, the virgin Israel. She lies abandoned upon her land, with no one to raise her up. Um, <clears throat> Despite outward signs of prosperity and success, a society in Israel is infected by a sickness unto death that requires radical surgery. Yet God is not merely vindictive. His purpose is redemptive. Repentance means return, a turning around, changing in the direction. Israel's fate would be a meaningful tragedy. We can choose who and what we serve, but we cannot escape the consequences of that choice. And here, Amos introduces an important concept, the concept of a remnant. In chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. Yes, I know how many are your crimes, how grievous your sins, oppressing the just, accepting bribes, repelling the needy at the gate. All of these ideas that we have some responsibility to the poor and those who are uh, marginal in society comes right from here. Therefore, the prudent man is silent at this time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. 
And truly will the Lord, the God of hosts, be with you as you claim. Hate evil and love good and let justice prevail at the gate. That it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will have pity on the remnant of Joseph. Thus says the Lord, in every square there shall be lamentation. In every street they shall cry, alas, alas. They shall summon the farmers to wail and professional mourners to lament. In every vineyard there shall be lamentation when I pass through your midst, says the Lord. And that, of course, is only the beginning. That's just the first row, woe of uh, three woes. Um, so, typical of Old Testament prophecy, not just Amos, is the ethical demands of a jealous God and the human responsibility to make a response to that demand. All proclaimed by preaching the word which carried with it the power to bring about what had been proclaimed. This idea is going to come in, uh, play a prominent role in Jeremiah. Uh, they were preaching God's word, but this, because it was God's word, it had the power to bring about that which had been proclaimed. Um, the focus, of course, of the prophets was on the word, the spoken word of God. And We also have a lot of people today who are focused on the word, but there's more to our Christian faith than just the word. Um, so I'll get started there when we come back next week, and I wish you a very good week um, indeed. This first full week of Lent, may it be especially productive for all of you. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Please join Father John Holloman again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you have a very good week.